Second and ten. Kelly over the middle. Picked off! He's picked off! This might do it! Beavers score! Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of The Damn Podcast with your hosts, Marcus Greaves and Angie Machano. Angie, we are about a week away from the first game. Beavers take on, I think, their number five, Ohio State. It's going to be an interesting game, as some people say. Angie, also the Beavers just named Jake Luton, their starting quarterback. Um, how does that make you feel? Kind of, give, kind of give us your thoughts on that. Um, you know, I... I after Bend, I think it was pretty obvious that, that Luton was going to be the guy. Um, and Coach Smith said today that you know this depth chart um, and what they released is not forever. It's if they're going to play the best guys each week. But um, Jake had kind of shown over the past, especially the past couple couple days of practice and with the scrimmage, that he was the guy. So um, it, you know, it doesn't surprise me. But you know, I. I I'm still concerned at that position, I guess, is what I want to say, is that it's not, in my opinion, nobody really won it outright, and, you know, that is a big Yeah, you kind of just want you just want to see someone go out and grab it, like we were saying earlier. You just kind of want to see someone who, like, really separates himself from everybody else, and then from there you're like, okay, we can definitely see why he's the guy or definitely see why he's the starter. But, yeah, you're right. In this situation, it kind of seemed like they were both neck and neck um, to me. The way I look at it is, if they're really that close, might as well start the younger guy just to have, uh, well, you know, obviously, really so a, he can build confidence and stuff like it that. Was, it was a three-way battle, though. That's just it, you know. Collect, you know, I think Connor Blount kind of came in as the leader after spring. He came in that first week and really looked like the best option. But then Jack Coletto, the um, JC transfer that came in, really kind of came alive and I think he opened some eyes and if you look at the depth chart it is Jake Luton is starter and then Jack or Connor it's it's not a one it's not a two and a three it's a two or a two so they're yeah. both kind of neck and neck so um yeah it's it's kind of a yeah do you take a senior or do you you know go with one of those sophomores yeah that, and uh, that's what I just feel like I would go with the younger guy then again you know obviously I don't want to criticize coach Smith but you know, maybe he has a bigger plan for it. Maybe it just fits the offense better. Maybe they have a big uh, scheme of what they're going to do. Or, like we were talking in the last episode, maybe start, you know, the guy who you don't think is going to be the starter come season time or come conference time, conference play. And then just like Fresno State did with Marcus McMarion, they didn't play him very much when they played Alabama, when they played UW. Then when they, uh, when they got to conference, they played um, – Marcus. So maybe that's the same thing. Maybe they've just played Jake at first and then switch over to Connor or Jack. But uh, I mean, I guess it's about time finally that they at least chose their quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Now they can go on for this week and you know really prepare game-like situation. Angie, is there anybody on the depth chart? I'm just looking at it right now that kind of jumped out to you when they got either the first, the either the starting spot or the second uh, spot on the roster, or not on the roster, but on the depth chart. Anyone jump out to you really? You know, and it's not necessarily a jump out because I doubt his ability, but Sean Wilson there at safety. He's uh, been a corner, a cornerback and has played some nickel, some safety and corner all fall. But to see him listed as a safety kind of jumped right out to me. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I was a little surprised. Caleb Hayes uh, looks like he's starting. That's big. Um, yeah, obviously a yeah. redshirt freshman taking that role. Um, that'll be interesting. Hopefully, you know, obviously your first game playing is against number five, Ohio state. <laughs> yeah. So, um, obviously we wish them the best of luck, but you know, it's going to be a lot, it's going to be eye opening. I really thought it was going to be 
um, Deshaun Wilson. But, uh, you know, obviously the coaches thought Caleb Hayes uh, probably stood out more and whatever. The well, and look at all those is, freshmen. But, yeah. You know, you look at, I mean, I know tight end has had some injuries. So you have, you know, two true freshmen listed right there with Isaiah Smalls with the start and then either Tegan Quitoriano or uh, Quinn Smith coming in as number two. Um, and then linebacker, Matthew Tago, Isaiah Tufaga. So those, and John McCartan, all listed in that uh, two deep. Pretty impressive, especially at linebacker where you have quite a bit of depth. Yeah, that it's going to be interesting to see. And also uh, another thing that jumped out to me, defensive-wise, defensive end, I was super high on Isaac Garcia. I think he's a, a really athletic defensive end. But uh, it looks like Isaac Hodgins is getting the start at defensive end for the first game. Um, I think that's really huge, and if anyone knows, obviously the defensive line has been struggling, but if you can find a guy like Isaac Hodgins, who obviously works his way up the depth chart, coming in as a true freshman and starting, that's big. And that's a great sign that the, at least the defensive line is heading in the right direction. Yeah, you know, and I've, I've had the chance to talk to a few former players. I know you do as well. And, you know, the thing that I keep hearing from them is what they have seen over the past week or two is the fact that running back looks better Offensive line looks better, and defensive line looks better. Yeah, so, um, that's great. you know, the trenches, you know, <laughs> that needs to, those are two areas, I think, biggest weakness heading into the season. And, you know, then question marks from, you know, different guys I've, t- I've spoken with is quarterback and wide receiver, mm-hmm. which you look at all the receivers, there's a ton of them with potential, but there's a lot of youth and really no one besides maybe a um, champ, Fleming's, or Josiah Irish that has that real breakaway speed yeah that is interesting you know timmy hernandez obviously is more of a possession receiver he's great you know his routes are precise he has great hands um obviously he was not going to burn you with this speed but he's a great receiver um trayvon bradford's a speed guy at least that they have i'm guessing they're obviously going to put him in the slot and then you have um isaiah hodgins on the outside again so it's kind of an interesting little group of receivers that they have uh backups obviously they have champ flemings you thought i mean at least i thought he was going to be more in the slot behind Trayvon, but it looks like he'll be behind uh, Isaiah. Then you have Colby Taylor. Colby Taylor had a really good performance um, in the scrimmage, I want to say. I think it was Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, he's had a really good fall camp. Yeah, which was big because I I thought he was one of the guys who had a lot to prove. You know, he came in with a lot of potential, but uh, obviously injuries kept him off the field. But now that he's back, he looks really good. And so I'm excited to see what he can do as well. Um, But besides that, Angie, let's, uh, let's shift on over to the game. What, you know, a lot of people want predictions. I get they're number five in the country. I understand that a lot of people think it's going to be 70 to nothing. But realistically, first games, especially as a player, anything can happen in the first game because uh, you're not as focused, you're not as crisp as you will be, obviously, later in the season. Maybe that works in the advantage of Oregon State. Maybe it doesn't. Regardless, kind of give us your predictions on how you see the game going. Well, I, you know, I just did this this morning um, for the Ohio State uh, 24-7 sports site. I, we do an Ask the Expert feature, and I hate doing these predictions, but, you know, I have to, and then I, I'm going to have to stick with it, right? I, I make my prediction, and I have to, to go with it. So I, I'm, you guys are all going to hate me. I, I know you're going to hate me, but I just – I, I think we'll, we'll see Oregon State show a ton of fight, and they're going to battle for four complete quarters. But I see this game being over by halftime. And I think the Buckeyes are just simply too talented and too deep 
for, you know, an, a rebuilding Oregon State team to keep up. So um, I think Oregon State gets a couple field goals. I think they get a touchdown. But I think in the end, it is Ohio State 52-13. to 13. Sheesh, Angie. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding. It, you know, and it does make sense when you go into an environment like they're going into, you go into the horseshoe, right? Like, <laughs> it's just tough. I, I, we went to Michigan, and that was really tough um, a couple years ago. And it's just you have such a young team. You have a lot of potential. But games like this is, is what really molds kind of the young guys because they get it all uh-huh. out in the first game. Don't get me wrong. You never, ever want to get blown out. But at least you have, like, at least the guys are going to go up against great competition and they're going to learn from it and it's going to make them that much better come later on in the season because basically you're playing the best team you're going to play all season long in the first game, which Coach Smith knows. (laughs) He definitely knows. But, you know, I obviously see it being more of a blowout. I'm going to say probably like 48 to 47 to maybe, like you said, 13 or 14. But I think they'll at least see a full game and full competitiveness, but obviously Ohio State is just more talented. They're more experienced, and it's a home game. The crowd's going to be hyped, first home game of the season. Um, So, yeah, I I definitely see it going Ohio State's way, but I think Oregon State fans are going to be a lot happier from what they see this game compared to any game that they see last year. I, I completely agree, and that's you know that's why you know saying that they're going to play a, a full game. But Marcus, I, you brought up Michigan, and I know so you've traveled on on a big game, big stage like this. I would love for you to take me and our listeners through what it's like. You know, lead lead us up like you leave say Thursday. Walk us through what it's okay, like. Okay, so you leave Thursday. I'm going to try to remember this. I'm kind of old and can't really remember the the golden days, but. Um, so yeah, you obviously say you leave Thursday or you leave Friday, whatever it is. You get, uh, you know, you get on the bus early. You get all your snacks. You get everything like that. I think the biggest thing when you travel though is the preparation because, as much as people think that you kind of just get to relax and then don't really get a focus until maybe, you know, the night before the game or the day of the game. No, you know, you get especially a, a example for running backs. We got a, you get a test of I want to say maybe 30 or 40 plays. Um, you sit down, you get it on when you get on the plane. And so as soon as you get on the plane, you either complete the test or wait till you get to your hotel. Regardless, you have to complete the test. And so the preparation is always is always a thing. You're always going to prep before the game just to refresh your mind. Um, you know, you go, say you're on the plane, you guys land, you get on the bus, you're still, you know, talking to your position groups, talking to your coaches, anything else. They kind of you're kind of constantly quizzed is really the thing. As much as a lot of people say you just want to relax, I thought it was a good thing to constantly have football on our mind and our schemes. But um so you land say you land in Michigan, you get on the bus, you get to I mean you drive however long to the hotel. And the crazy thing is that it's you think it would be a good time just to like laugh and have fun with the guys, but it's like it's really crazy how focused you really are and how quiet it is at all times Which, really yeah okay. it's that's actually really quiet at least for coach anderson um it was just obviously super quiet you were always i mean me for example i always just had my headphones in along with most of the guys but um you get to the hotel you go drop your stuff off we usually have a quick meeting with the team uh the coaches or head coach will talk to you real quick um just let you know what time everything is either that be dinner or breakfast, whatever. He'll give you a quick couple words. You'll go back to your room. You drop off all your stuff. You probably have about an hour just to relax. 
Um, and then I want to so say you come down, you eat dinner, you sit with your position groups. Um, and then after you eat dinner, you go back, you have about 30 more minutes of you time or whatever that is, especially obviously football sing, season being in the middle of the school year. Um, it's required that everyone, it's, it's not a study hall, but we either, we either have a football game on, a game that's going on, or you have a movie playing in one of the rooms and the team has to be all together or not all together, but you guys have to be in either or room for about three hours, I want to say. So you get there at six or you get down to the lobby at six, you're watching the movie, either doing homework or doing whatever, watching the game till about nine o'clock. You'll have a special teams meeting. Then I want to say you have the red, you have about an hour, an hour and a half before lights have to be out. After that, you can go back to your room, relax, watch TV, whatever that is. Um, You go, Go to sleep, obviously, lights out by 11. Wake up the next day. You got to wake up early, depending on what time the game is, but most of the time they get you up at around 7.30 to 8. Um, You get up, you run down, get breakfast, go over your test, meet with your position groups, then, ooh, shoot, Angie, it's been a long time. Meet with your (laughs) position groups, you get back, get all your stuff loaded up, um, as in you pack up your bags from your hotel room, and all that. Then you come back downstairs. It's a lot of back and forth, if you guys can't tell already. But um, more preparation. You have another special teams meeting. You have an offense team meeting, defense team meeting. Every single position group will have a meeting. And then every single um, special teams group. So kickoff return, kickoff, punt return, punt, whatever that is. You guys will all have an individual meeting as well. And then from there, you have about an hour. We eat our team meal before. We say our prayers as a team. And from there, load up on the bus, drive to the, stadium, to the stadium, and then it's all uh, it's all business from there. I mean, as you could tell, it kind of sounds like it's all business the whole time. But, um, you know, it's not as relaxed as a lot of people would think it is. You know, I, I know a yeah. lot of coaches are different, but I just think with that coaching staff, they just really want tried to keep you focused and obviously not goof around, hence why we didn't have a lot of fun when we played. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks. Thanks for uh, walking us through because that's something that – you know, most of us will never experience. Yeah, and the biggest thing with with traveling, just know it's a lot of preparation. It's a lot of looking at notes. It's a lot of looking at film and just understanding your assignment, especially as a player, and then understanding your role on whatever team you're on, whether that be offense, defense, or special teams. So that's kind of just the gist of what you do. I tried to sum it up as quick as possible so I don't bore the listeners, but – that's kind of what it is, just a lot of preparation and a lot of food. <laughs> that's kind of it. Yeah, that's yeah, lots of eating. Well, thank you for running us through that. Of course. Well, Angie, I just wanted to get another thought. i seen that Jamar Jefferson uh, stepped into that second-string spot at running back, which I thought was huge. Um, kind of give us some thoughts of how you think he will perform, at least if he's going to get a bunch of carries or any guy, I guess any guy who's going to really jump out to you during the game. Gosh, I mean, he is, I mean, last night we had a, a, a went out to dinner with a, a group of our friends and all Beavers, you know, they, they all went to Oregon State. And of course, when they get me in a room, that's, you know, they all want to ask <laughs> what, what the latest is, right? So um, that was the question all of the, uh, the uh, husbands had was, okay, how's it going to go? And, and who's a guy? They, give me one guy that, and Jermar Jefferson is the guy that just, I'm so excited to see what this kid can do. Um, he impressed me every single time I saw him at, at practice. Um, a lot of the freshmen did, and that's nothing against AP. You know, AP's the starter. He is going to get his yards, but um, it's always, always important to have a couple guys. And he, 
just just his poise. I mean, he played so much older than you know a true freshman that just graduated two months ago or three months ago. So um, excited for him. I think Josiah Irish is one that I'm excited to see, um, just because of his speed. And you know, he had a couple really really good days where he really stood out. Uh, and then you know, kind of you know, then other guys stepped up. So it's that give and take. Colby Taylor is one that I'm really excited to see uh, come game day. But um, there's there's a lot, and I I think as a as an Oregon State fan, you have to look at there's kind of two sides in my opinion with the youth. One is, you know, this is rebuilding, and you you have to have youth. But the thing with the youth that I love is you know they're going to make mistakes. It's mm-hmm. all neither them. Absolutely. But they also hopefully we will all see glimpses of you know why the coaches recruited them and, and some of that greatness that could happen in the next year or two. Uh, that's what I really like that you said, Angie, is that they're going to make mistakes, but the best thing is, and I noticed it from day one with this new staff, is, like you said, there's two sides. Understand, first of all, they're going to make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes when it comes to football. Um, for a lot of people who like to do a lot of, obviously, criticizing on the game, you have to understand you got a 17-, 18-year-old kid who's playing as a true freshman going up against grown men right, who've been there for four seasons now probably, three seasons, and they're going to make mistakes. You know, I have no doubt in my mind, which isn't obviously reassuring, but, you know, you look at any team, they're going to make mistakes. But like I said, they're going to make mistakes, but understand they're going to do it as hard and as fast as they can, which at the end of the day, that's what you ask for because that's how you rebuild. And so I think out of all the young guys that are going to play, you'll see some mistakes, but at the same time, like you said, Andrew, you're going to see flashes of just how good they can be and the potential that, you know, and obviously see why the coaches brought them to Oregon State. And, and that's what, you know, what's fun, I think, when you look at the young guys and, and veterans as well, but with a new staff, is watching now where they're at against Ohio State. Like you said, the toughest team they're going to play all season. And then what you want to see is that improvement week after week after week. Yes, and I think it's going to happen because especially, like I was saying well, I know I tweeted it out about the defensive line and the scrimmage and bend. Angie, I'm telling you, that was the first time since I I want to say since I was a redshirt freshman that I seen the defensive line really dominate, and I mean really dominate the trenches. It was insane. I was actually nice. blown away. I remember the whole time I was sitting there looking at Amy, and she was like, "Well, what do you keep looking at me for?" I was like, "Amy, do you understand? Like, look at this." <laughs> Look at this. She's like, no, I get it. And I was like, I was just so blown away that I was really just like, Amy, like, look at this. And she, I mean, obviously she probably got annoyed for me saying it 800 times, but it's a, it was a huge step in the right direction because you could finally see that the, that there was progress. They were obviously, like I said, stuffing gaps. They were reading blocks and they were shedding blockers. They were making big plays. And like I said, the biggest thing is obviously maybe you're not going to get, you know, 10 sacks in a game. But if you could at least dictate what the offense can and can't do, I feel like that's the biggest thing. And that's exactly what they were doing. And, you know, a lot of people tweeted back saying, well, this guy rushed for this many yards, this guy rushed for this many yards, which I definitely understand that it sounds confusing when I say the defensive line is dominant and then stuff like that happens. But if you've seen them in the past, you will realize that this is such a big step and it just shows that this is actually – you know, this team is actually getting better. And it's not just people saying that they're getting better. So I think that, I thought that was huge. Nice. Yeah. And that's what I've heard from several people that were over in Bend. So that's super exciting to hear. Angie, is it time for some damn questions now? 
It is definitely time for Damn Questions. Awesome. All right. Damn Questions is brought to you by Body of Health Chiropractic and Wellness Center. Dr. Dr. Jason Young has been the chiropractor for Oregon State Athletics since 2011. Let's get this thing going, Angie. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? I will, but I want to start off by saying thank you, Dr. Jason Young. Yeah, thank you. Our very first sponsor of the Damn Podcast ever. That's what I'm talking about. Kudos to you. This is awesome. So I'm so excited to have a, a presenting question, uh, presenting sponsor for our damn questions. And uh, we still have one spot available if anyone would like to sponsor the entire damn podcast. So, but I do have questions for you, Marcus. That's actually one for you. Oh, okay. On on Twitter, Chris Conrad asks. Um, it seems like the offensive line is a mixed is mixed with bigger guys that will blow people off the ball and smaller, more athletic guys. Marcus Greaves, what type did you prefer to run behind? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm going to say the smaller athletic guys, definitely. I just like that because, for example, Fred Lawina. Fred is super athletic. He was big, but he was athletic and he was fast. And I think the best thing about running behind an athletic guy is just the fact that he will he dictates – where the block is going, obviously, before you do. And I think a lot of the time with when you have bigger guys, I want to say, at least from my experience, you kind of have to set them up because obviously they can't move side to side as well. And so that's where you see guys who have great vision that can set up the blocks. But I like running behind athletic guys because they'll just, I mean, they'll just run downhill and decide which way you're going. And it made it, it made my job a lot easier. And then it makes offense, I think, run a lot smoother just because the, the blocks are already dictated and especially as a running back, you have obviously a couple seconds, if that, split seconds to decide which way you're going to go instead of, you know, you have someone like Fred who will just say, well, we're going this way, Marcus. And you're like, all right, well, I'm just going to go this way then. I'll just follow my guy. Just follow my guy. That's what it is. Um, I kind of like this question, Angie. I'm not – I assume that I can maybe answer this one, but – Okay. This is from Michael Derman. Uh, please fill us in on how summer strength training differed this year uh, and are players better physically prepared for this season. Uh, I would say from it looks like it. I mean, shoot, they look a lot bigger. And they look uh, not a lot bigger, I should say, but they look they look more lean, I guess. And they look more muscular. And I think that's just because they, the coaching staff and the strength staff kind of like we were saying earlier in the podcast a couple uh, episodes ago that they kind of shifted their mindset and went away from what Coach Anderson wanted, which was we're going to make it kind of like a Big 12 thing, right? So yeah, you're going to yeah. be you're going to be a lot. Did I say Big 12. Yeah, Big 10 is what you're. My bad, Big 10. Yeah, we're going to shift 10. away from that and not have you know you know huge guys and huge running backs that weigh 245 pounds. But instead, we're going to do what the Pac-12 is, you know, how the Pac-12 is, and we're going to have uh, more athletic, quicker guys. And I think that's kind of that's kind of how they – so I'm guessing that they just focused more on agility stuff and speed rather than, you know, pushing 500 pounds on squat. That's how I'm yeah, going to look yeah. at it. That's, that's what I've heard, too, is what's been going on. They want athletic. They're, they're looking for the best weight as far as, like, metabolic load and what these guys can handle and where they're most efficient. So that's, and then their, their latest thing has been really trying to, you know, Oregon State has seen a ton of little hamstring tweaks over yeah. the summer and spring. So really kind of focusing in on why and, and ways of preventing that, you know, going forward. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, I think it's a good thing that they switched over this kind of mindset, too. Um, okay, so let's see. We have... Um, 
Beaver Decks, and it, it's an interesting one. It's, it's kind of long, but I want to just kind of get your opinion here. So uh, Gary Anderson destroyed the culture and confidence um, of the program, yet they, the, the players or the team was still a few plays away from being three and nine. If Gary Anderson had a negative impact on the program, how much of a positive impact can Coach Smith have just in terms of locker room unity? And does that culture change? I know the culture change doesn't change overnight, but I see this team being more resilient under the staff. How would you gauge the impact of a coaching and culture change when we re- beginning a rebuild? Hmm. Well, that was a long question. Jeez. I know. Uh, <laughs> so basically, I mean, so I think what he's saying here, Beaver Dex on in the Lodge of Beaver Blitz is how one coach could destroy a culture mm-hmm. and the team went one and eleven, but we're really close to being three and nine. Yeah. How much of a positive an impact can a new staff have on on wins and losses? I think huge. Obviously, I felt like the guys last season, and it's horrible to say. But you could just tell, and Angie, I think you can agree, that when they would just show up to the games, not only did they look like they weren't having fun, it really looked like they already knew that they were about to lose, which is oh, obviously yeah, a yeah. terrible they feeling. They looked defeated from the beginning. Yeah. And, you know, like we said, we were probably done talking about Coach A, but, you know, he did a lot of – I, I want to say he – if you're his guy, then you probably didn't see it as everyone else would see it. But just, I could definitely tell that the culture was just changing because even myself, and I wasn't, I'm not going to lie, obviously out of high school I wasn't a huge Oregon State guy, but when I was coming out of high school, that's when Oregon State just got done um, playing Texas. And what bowl was that, the Las Vegas Bowl? No, that was the Alamo Bowl. The Alamo Bowl. So they just got done playing them. And I was like, wow, Oregon State is legit. Coach Riley is legit. I love Coach Riley. You know, I was thinking about going down to Eugene and playing, but hold up. Oregon State, you know, that culture is something I want to be a part of. And so mm-hmm. that and that's what I'm saying. When you get there and you see the culture, you're you're super into it. But then when someone kind of rips that like kind of like rips the brand off Oregon State, not only is it hard to get people there, but it's hard to have people play for you because yeah. Yeah. just in general, it just wasn't it just didn't feel right. I'm sorry if I can't really describe the feeling, but just it just didn't feel right to play there and play well, under those guys. I think I mentioned it last week on the pod, but talking to some of the players and, and some of the guys that maybe are fifth year seniors right now that have played now for four coaches, they told me like, you know, it was off the record. It was just kind of in passing, but it was like smile on their face saying it feels like Oregon state football again. And then guys that were recruited by the last staff saying, yeah, now I understand what Oregon state football is supposed to feel like. Yeah. So that's so it's a feeling it's a, yeah, it's a, um, okay. Well, here, here's a question though for you. Kind of not changing gears, but do you think Luton finishes the year as the starter, assuming that his health is intact? Mm. I don't know. That's a long a, pause. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think he is super talented, but I just really think that they're kind of going with that, with that start one quarterback before conference play and then switch to the other one, which maybe isn't very productive. But I just think that might be the case because I'm just looking at it from outside in. Obviously, if you have a if you have two guys or three guys that are basically going to produce the same, you might as well start the or you might as well play the younger guy because event, that's going to be your quarterback in the future. So okay, I, well, here's here's something that just just happened. Okay, and I you probably you've been driving, so you probably don't know, but Nebraska, Tristan Gebbia, who was a four star quarterback out of Calabasas High School 
committed to Coach Riley at Nebraska, was in a quarterback battle with Adrian Martinez under the new staff, was just named backup just this weekend, has withdrawn from Nebraska. Oh, boy. And Yes. So that's already – that's a question here. Do you, and not that he would not be eligible to play right away, but do you see something like that happening? Well, that's what I'm saying. Coach Riley is, is really that kind of coach that he can draw people away like that. I don't want to say he's obviously reaching out and being like, hey, man, like we got a spot open. But realistically, if you commit to a coach, that's kind of your dude. And that's what I'm see, saying. I had heard at the recruiting dinner that Gebbia might be looking to transfer. Oh. And that was, that was clear back in February. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, then definitely I could see a guy, obviously, like I was saying, if you're attached to a coach, that's kind of like, that's kind of your guy. And that's how it was with Coach Riley. Once I, because I want to say no one was really emailing me back. And then finally, Coach Riley reached out to me after I already went to U of O. And I was like, obviously, I don't want to do this. I reached out to Coach Riley. He reached out back. And he, and like, we just chatted for a while. And I was like, wow, this is my guy. And so I didn't, after I talked to Coach Riley, I guess I'm trying to sum it up and say, I didn't want to go anywhere else. There was no other place I'd rather go. And so instantly, just like that, my heart was with Oregon State. My heart was with Coach Riley. So that might be the case. And yeah. I, and, you know, like I said, this kind of new generation of football players, I'm not a huge fan of because if you don't win the starting spot, you just leave. Right. But I guess, but we don't know the entire story because if you look at it like Marcus McMarion's point of view, people could say the same thing. Right. But we, they didn't know the ins and outs and what actually happened. So um, there might be more to it, obviously, than we know. But if that's the case and he comes to Oregon State, that's a great get. I mean, shoot, at this point, if we could find, you know, a couple of great quarterbacks that can compete even more with the group that they already have now, the team is just going to get that much better. Yeah. Okay, here's one on Twitter. Christian Bass says, why don't the Beavs turn out NFL talent like they used to? Seemed like some years we were even we even produced more pros than the Ducks. Will Smith be able to get us back to 2000s type recruiting player development again? I think so because he has someone like Coach Riley who's been there and done it. I know I keep preaching about Coach Riley, but um, and he obviously Coach Smith was with Coach Peterson, who's a great coach as well. Um, he just has so many pieces that I think Coach Anderson lacked with his staff, like development of players and all this stuff. So I think Coach Smith can really do it because he's been there and he's done it right. He's he's been a player and he got better over the over the years that he was at Oregon State. And then from there, you could just, it's the same thing. You just develop your players. You gain their trust. You really put it in their mind that they can be good if they develop themselves. And I think that's exactly what he's doing because, like I say a lot, the play, I mean, the coaches can only do so much. At some point, the players have to buy in. And I think he really has them buying in to the point where they can see themselves being that great or being that good. And so they're going to listen to this staff and listen to what they have to say and really take it to heart and change not only their mind and their body, but their ability to play. So I'm, yeah, I think yeah. so. Okay. So 10 win season in the logic beaver, but says how many first down conversions do the bees achieve at Ohio state? Mm. My prediction is nine is what, what 10 win season says. What's yours? I was going to say 10. I was going to say 10, 10 to 15. 10. I think they, they'll, I think the offense will move a lot better than people think because in an offense in like that a, front seven, I just want to say just because the I think the whole offense and the way that they're going to look at it is just you know that you're not going to beat them in the trenches because they're just that talented. Yeah. So yeah. you might as well scheme around it and 
you know, you do a couple rollout passes, you do quick outs, get five, six yards, just like the passing concepts that we were saying. And, you can, you know, you can march the ball down the field pretty well, you know, regardless if however you scheme it on defense, some plays are just obviously designed to work. And so, and, and if, okay, that's, you bring up such a good point, Marcus, because that's, this is what I've been saying for a couple months now, is that where I see this coaching staff being so superior than to what we've seen in the past, I mean, past long time actually is just their ability. I think we are going to see them scheme and come up with game plans that yeah. really, really um, put Oregon state strengths, highlight Oregon state strengths and really can, um, you know, take full advantage of other teams weaknesses. Right. And, you know, say a guy isn't playing super tight man coverage, or if he is, for example, playing super tight man coverage, what do you do? You throw a slant. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. when you throw a slant, you get four or five, six yards. But just chunk away down the yeah, field. Yeah, you just chunk away. It's not. And I think a lot of people look at the game now and say, okay, well, we don't have someone that can bomb the ball 50 yards downfield to a guy who's going to outrun everybody on the field. That's just, I mean, unless you go to Alabama, unless you go to Clemson, Ohio State, you're not really going to have those kind of guys anymore. And so, and, and really against an Ohio State, in my opinion, you want to dominate the time of possession anyway. You absolutely. don't want to score in a minute and a half. Right. You, you want to, you want to make you, know? you want to make their defense stay on the field. You want to make sure yeah. the offense obviously isn't on the field, and you just want to take care of the ball. Because yeah. if, and I think the Beavs did a great job of doing that last season when they played Washington when they went to half and it was seven nothing. Yeah. Right. Obviously, the offense couldn't produce anything, but what did they do? They at least they they kept getting. I want to say they kept getting Washington's defense, I mean, offense off the field. And so if you yeah. could do that, right, then what are you going to do? You have an opportunity to score and you have an opportunity to put points on the board, but they just have to do it. They have to stick to their assignments, be smart football players, and take care of the ball because obviously Ohio State is going to probably throw everything at Oregon State because they don't think they're mature enough and ready for what they have to bring. And, and that's just it. Sometimes the best offense is a really good defense. Yeah. I mean, and we've seen it so many times in the past that when Oregon State's offense is struggling, which it has been for a couple seasons, the defense re- looks really good sometimes, and they really keep them in the game. But how long, obviously, can you keep someone in the game? Like, exactly. And exactly. So, you know, I think Oregon State's offense is going to be a little better than a lot, pe- a lot of people think. That's only if, obviously, like I said, they're smart football players. They do their assignment correctly, and really they play hard because, like I said, if you run a slant, no matter who you're playing, whoever you're playing against, unless they're a – First-round draft pick, right, you should be able to, if the quarterback plays the ball in the right time, you have the timing right, you should be able to complete it. It's just yeah. it's just football X's and O's. It's how it should go. Um, but I'm pulling up the questions again, Angie. My, I don't know why. Anymore? I think, I think we're, we got most of them. Did we? I thought there was one more. I think there was one more I really wanted to look at. It was... <laughs> a lot of these Coach Anderson questions, I love it. I know, we're, and we're done. We're done, Coach Anderson, and we're, you know we're trying to talk about the Ducks and Coach Anderson. This done. is the one I found. It. This is the one I really, really liked because nobody looks at it like this. So, if Smith is improving the team culture, how do we improve the fan culture? Get more support for players and team, and then he put in parentheses, uh, "invest before the wins?" Question mark. I think, like I think I said this on the very first episode or one of the episodes I was on with you and Brandon was just. As a fan, you have to understand, and like we were saying earlier in this episode, Angie, they're going to make mistakes. They're a young team. It's a rebuilding process, right? If you bash, you hate, you don't show – I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand if you don't want to blow your money on a ticket if the Beavers get blown out. No one wants to do that. But you just have to 
like if you just have support for a struggling team, especially as a player who is a part of that, you don't understand how much that really means to the player, right? And it sounds like yeah, a pity yeah. thing, and you don't want it to be like that. But if the fans show support and show that they're really about this Oregon State team, these guys are going to play as hard as they can for you. And if, you know, obviously, if they don't get the wins, then they don't get the wins, but you're going to see them at least play hard and be competitive. At least that's yeah. how I look at it. And I don't know all everything else about the fan experience at the games and what they're doing to get everyone involved. I don't really know that. But, you know, at least from a player's view, that's how I look at it. If you just support, I'm going to – if so if people are supporting, I see little kids in the stands maybe wearing my jersey, wearing my number. I'm going to – you know, obviously I'm going to play as hard as I can for those guys because I want yeah. them to yeah. – I want them to have a great experience and I want them to be like, wow, I just want to be like that guy 23 or I want to be like this guy or that guy or that guy, right? That's just how I look at it. Angie, I think you can give a better perspective um, from outside looking in, but that was kind of my perspective on inside looking out. Oh, I, I completely agree. And that's, it, it is a hard, hard conundrum right now, right? You have Beaver fans that are kind of pissy because the team isn't doing well and, well, I'm not going to spend my money until they do better. I, I get it. But, yeah, at the end of the day, these are kids and they're, you know, and now you have a coach that's one of you. You have a coach that's a Beaver. And he's giving his blood, sweat, tears, everything to the program. You have players that, as long as they come out, I, I think a lot of people got really turned off last season when they saw it. It, guys that looked like they didn't care and yeah. they didn't they weren't playing hard but you know I, I really do expect this team to come out and give it their all all 60 minutes and leave it all on the field and I think as a fan as long as that's happening and you're seeing improvement and you're seeing these guys you know work their ass off I I think that uh, you know fans should get behind that definitely Angie do you have anything well, else we should add no I, I just want to thank um no, I, I really don't. I, I want to take one more second, though, to thank um, our damn question sponsor, Body of Health Chiropractic and Wellness Center, for being the, pro, uh, the sponsor of the damn questions. Awesome. Everybody, it's game week. Angie, we're going to be back next week. Obviously, we're hey, going to talk. Hey, I, I've got some fun for you, though, Marcus. Let's hang hear on. It. I'm, not, I, I'm not done with you yet. Whoa, hang let's on. hear it. Yeah, let me, let me pull it up again. I just had it. Okay, so I have... We're gonna. I'm gonna do this every week for you now. Okay. Might mix up the questions a little bit. Okay. Quick, quick fire here. Um, just give me, you know, yes, no, unless it's a different question. Okay. This was in the Lodge of Beaver Blitz. The fans have been having some fun with it. Do the Beavers use only one quarterback at Ohio State? No. Uh, who scores the first TD? AP. First offensive play for Oregon State: run or pass? Inside zone. Do the Beavers have more than three sacks? No. Who scores the first? Ohio, who scores first? Ohio State or Oregon State? Oregon State. Let's go. Let's go. Who leads the Beavers in tackles? Key Wetzel. Over under of five. How many true freshmen play? Under. I'll say four. Ooh. Okay, I'm going over. Um, do the Beavers score over 21 points? No. Will any Oregon State runner rush for over 100 yards? Yes. AP. Who will be the Beavers' leading receiver? Timmy Hernandez. There you go. Boom. Perfect. I kind of like that. Yeah, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to bring that every time. Every week. Isn't that fun? I yeah. Kind of fun. I was a little you nervous. Go. You kind of. You kind of <laughs> got me nervous. I was like, Angie, don't make me edit anything out because I. I answer it wrong. <laughs> I know. It's just having a little fun. I. I gotta work on things. I mean, listeners. I, I guess I need some help in my texting. I'm old, and Marcus thinks sometimes when I text him back that I'm mad at yeah him. she gives me like a stern mom answer i'm like whoa i, I don't i say yeah or sure <laughs> it's all so, right so 
I need some peeps to help me out here. What about I? Marcus is telling me emojis. I got to start doing emojis. Laughing emojis, smiling emojis, anything. I just sometimes Angie, when I text you and you say like "sure" and like "period," I'm like, "Whoa, what did I do?" I was like, "I just asked you how your day was." But anyways. <laughs> Um, we'll be back next week on Monday. Obviously, we're going to talk the game. We're going to talk our thoughts, how it went. Angie, it's going to be an interesting game. I'm excited to see it. I know you're probably excited as well. But I'm just excited football's back. Yes. Oh, my goodness. It is the best. Anyways, everyone, thank you for listening to another episode of the Damn Podcast. We will be back next week. Bring her a low kick, and Sammy Strutter backpedals to his 36. Looking for a block, slips straight ahead. Now sidesteps to the near sidelines, and Strutter has all kinds of room. What a start for the Oregon State special team. 64 yards to the house there.